The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness. I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? Ugh, I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Allie Colbert Show. Hello, everybody. I hope you're having a really nice start to your week. Welcome back to The Allie Colbert Show. Today, we have Alexis Haynes, formerly known as Alexis Nyers, on the podcast. She was arrested on the set of Pretty Wild. She was a member of the Bling Ring. And now she is so much more than that with her Aloe House Recovery Center and really interesting initiatives in the wellness and health world. So I'm really excited for you to listen. It was a really fun episode. If you've been listening and you've been enjoying the episodes, please, please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast and give us a review and leave us a a lovely comment. It would mean so much. It really helps the podcast. And if you are interested in hearing even more episodes, we are now on Patreon for bonus content. So you can find us there and I'm going to recap my fun Maui bash this weekend on the Patreon. So like, subscribe, review, bonus episodes on Patreon. Excited for you to hear this episode. Marshall, are we recording? Yeah, are we recording, Marshall? I might actually need this now, but I I wish I could see how I looked in the... But you look fine. So I'll tell you the reason why I like them, because I can can hear when I've moved too far away from the mic. Oh, here I am. Yeah, now I'm going to be on to my posture, because I feel like I'm a sloucher. I have the worst. You're about you have a bad posture. Yeah, I sit like this all the time, and I'm like, sit up. Are you not a yogi, though? I feel like no. you would be a yogi because you're like on so much mental health stuff. I'm, I'm like a wannabe yogi. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no. So what is your? I'm like a binge watch Vampire Diaries and cry in my bedroom. Totally mental. Like that is my mental health. On the way over here, I was listening to the used like screaming in my car down the 405 freeway because there was traffic. And I was like, oh, the serotonin rush right now is superb. Who needs downward dog? I have emo music in a freeway. Yes. I only go downward dog for my partners. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So there's there's so much to get into with you. And I'll just give some context that so I was late to, and I don't want to spend like the whole podcast talking about like everything you've probably talked about a hundred yeah. bajillion times. Obviously, you have had like so many like, well, I'm thinking of the one like pop culture momentous mm-hmm. moment of 
Nancy Joe, this is me calling, yeah. which are you not exhausted talking about that? Like you're not happy in the <laughs> fucking clip. Um, it used to really bug me. It doesn't now. Like I really, that's I think one of the gifts of recovery is that we can have a laugh at ourselves. Yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah. I saw the meme of it on the back of uh, AOC's dress. dress. Yeah. yeah which I love. So great. Yeah. It yeah. was amazing. It's like people just won't let it go. No. <laughs> it won't. will never die. And so I was late to watching Pretty Wild. How um, old are you? I'm 28. Oh, okay. So we're not that far apart, but in age, but okay. But, but in So where were you wisdom? for reality TV? I'm I, just, this moment, this, this epicenter, which was the early 2010s. I, I, no, TV. I watched it. I just was like, I watched it. I went back and watched it after the mm-hmm. bling ring. Okay. The movie. Cause I was like, and that movie, I wasn't like, oh, that was like bad. What those kids did. I was like, I want to fucking rob. <laughs> like I got amped up. Yeah. I went back. I watched Pretty Wild. And I thought you were so fucking cool. Did a mm. Wikipedia dive on you. And then like everything I read, I was like, oh, this is like nothing that I saw was going on was your life at the time mm. of filming it. Yeah. I make jokes about it now. My husband calls me the modern day Robin Hood. He says, you know, when AOC says tax the rich, you really mean tax the rich, babe. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's interesting. So you kind of did like reverse Uno there. Yeah, you like totally went back backwards yeah I like pieced it together kind yeah. of I wanted to have like sort of like a Star Wars like releasing the sagas love that yeah in, I, in chronological order yeah there you go yeah I did it the right way and the thing that I was most surprised about and if anyone's kept up with you now like they know that you are, are sober now and that's like mm-hmm. a big part of your life that you talk about and you weren't sober during the filming of that show uh, I read that you were, and so like just dispel this if it's a rumor, <laughs> that you were like living out of a Best Western. Yeah, that it, was true. How And how is that going on? Because the show, I'm like… Well, reality TV is not real. You're kidding me. No. Marshall got this. <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> no, that was like a prop house, like a stage. That was like a, a prop like, house? It's like a house that they like rented like, you know, would have been the equivalent to like Airbnb today. Oh my and God. And we didn't really live there. And yeah, it was like I would go to work in the morning and film and have this pretend life. And then I would go back to this this Best Western. Girl, you better use that coaster. Oh, fuck. Sorry. <laughs> she already warned me. She was like, don't put your stupid water bottle down and don't it's use sparkling like, water and you're going to burp. She's like that. already been a total dom since she walked in the room. <laughs> I'm a switch. I'll have you know. Okay. Okay. So. okay. Um, it's so funny because they didn't ask me anything today and someone was like, are you a pillow princess? And I'm like, no, I'm not a fucking pillow Who's princess. Who's asking you that just like on they your... They just ask me. Aren't you like just dropping your kids off at school? This is they the just, drop off line. <laughs> and they're like, are you a pillow princess? Um, okay, so where were we? Wow, you we can't... Were, like, she can't help how gay she is. It's really... I am you, so gay. Okay, so you know what? Just like fuck the pretty wild stuff then. I was just no, gonna say... No, <laughs> We can go back to it. Okay, so Best Western. Yeah, you're living in a but, Best Western, but it so looks... So like, okay, it looks like one thing, right? It, right? it looks glamorous. It looks fabulous. Although I feel like I look like a crackhead. No, I you mean, don't look like a crackhead. Those brows were like very indicative of how were late they thin? I was staying. They were thin. Ugh. So thin, right. so far apart. Because when you're on drugs, like crack and stuff, you just like, you pick at your face and you're just like a maniac. Totally. Thankfully, my brows like somewhat recovered from that era. Yeah, but not, they don't look very thin. They're not as bad as they once were. Um, But yeah, and then I would go home to my bed, or 
home. That's what you mean by recovery, huh. by the way, is just your eyebrows. <laughs> You're like, I'm in recovery. My eyebrows are thick. They, they came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I would, I would come home to my best Western um, and I would call my dealer and go score some, some dope and yes, yeah, sit there and either smoke or shoot up heroin until I would pass out and then wake up at five in the morning and do it all over again. Um, got real dark there real Jesus. quick. I know. Yeah, it's like hard to even respond so with something funny, but what is... But <laughs> it is funny though. It's hilarious. It is. But it's not funny. <laughs> but, it's not funny, but it is. But you now, aren't you still close with your mother? I'm. Yeah, we, thankfully, we got better. It was really rocky there the first couple of years of my recovery. It was like, I'm either going to murder this woman and go back to jail or yeah. I'm going to kill myself because she made my life a living hell. I can't believe that you're close with her just because I think my mom and I hit rock bottom when we like get in a fight about Mm -hmm. like nothing Mm -hmm. and you're like doing crack in a hotel room and you're like my mom and I can get through this like that is insane yeah and you know a a quick little pivot here yeah pivot. you know fast forward 10 years in recovery my mom ended up getting so much better around year two or three. And now we like have a business together where we coach families like how to do the same thing. So isn't that so nice how it really just made that that shift? It's a real testament to, you know, two people who are willing to do the work. And yeah, it's hard. Not everyone in my family was willing to do that. And so, you know, I I've had to let go. It's hard when you get uh, get on the path of healing and just evolving in general you lose a lot of people and that's hard what was the point that you like was it because you were ruled to go into recovery yeah oh god I went in kicking and screaming like I was 19 not at all ready to get sober so that's after that's after pretty wild has season one and you you start going in recovery and that journey I mean how long was that journey until kind of where you've at least found some semblance of peace Hmm. Well, yeah, (sighs) it was kind of like a number of things. It wasn't like one moment where I was like, damn, girl, like you've got to do this. So, yeah, I I kept going to jail, obviously. Totally. Uh, I was sick of going to jail. Yeah. Um, And I knew that my addiction was like that normal people don't use heroin. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's not like a like, you know, it's like. Not yeah. a party drug. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like, a party drug. You're a fucking junkie. It's you not know what a party I mean? drug. But yeah. it, God, I see like so much of it now. Really? Yeah. I mean, it is very prevalent. Um, the opiates. It's it's bad. But um, yeah. I mean, it was it was bad. It, it was a number of moments. I I had this real bottom bottom. It was more like an emotional bottom. Um, where I this girl was fucking you with a strap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I knew in that moment. <laughs> Um, no, I relapsed on whippets, like in court mandated treatment. I can talk about this now because I'm not going to go to prison over it. And in that moment, because it was always like, oh, well, heroin's a problem. Alcohol is a problem. Coke and crack, that's a problem. But like, it's the drugs that that are the problem. It's not me. And I had this moment of, of real clarity after I 
did a whip it and came back to consciousness because that shit knocks like you're on another planet I for a couple so minutes. I feel so lame. I like don't even know what that <laughs> okay. is. Well, it's like nitrous oxide. Like the ga- uh, when they gas you for surgery. Like Oh yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> or like you have dental work done and they give you the gas. It's like that. Oh so yeah, that's good. I like came back online, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, ooh, we're home. Um, and I had this moment where I was like, oh, it's not the drugs, bitch. It's you. Like, mm. you're the problem. And in that moment, like, my whole earth shattered. Like, it was like this moment where it was like, psh, like, fuck, you are the problem. Like, you have to get better. Yeah. Wait, and, when is this timeline-wise? Um, I'm like a couple months in treatment mm-hmm. at this point. So, yeah. so I've been fighting tooth and nail for like the first couple months, like being a total fucking asshole, you know, because I was and can still be, but not so much anymore. But yeah, I, I just, I had this kind of, this moment and... I crawled my ass back into a meeting and I was just like, fuck, I need help. Like, I can't. I I honestly, at that point, I knew that I didn't know what was best for myself anymore. And I think that's the the missing piece for me up until that point was humility. Like, I thought, because I had had to survive for so long, like, I really raised myself, right? And so I always, like, self-reliance was how I survived. And I didn't like taking direction. I was obviously a rule breaker. So for me, it was kind of this moment of like, bitch, you don't know shit. Like you don't know how to live life on life terms. You don't know how to fucking run a bank account, pay rent on time. Like you barely know how to like shower at this point. Like are you gonna, you know, keep going to jail and have people tell you what to do? Or are you gonna like put your life together? Yeah. So... And who is in your life at that time supporting you through this? Or is it just no you? one? It's just you. Like everybody, like, okay, um, Tess was fully still out on the streets. My little sister was too little and hated me at this point mm. because I had just blown up our lives. Um, my dad, alcoholic, you know, not in recovery at that point. And my mom was this kind of like narcissistic, um, <laughs> I almost said psychopath. Um, <laughs> She she was a fucking mess. So I had no I had nobody. Yeah. It was kind of like which honestly though as uh, it's weird because um I own a treatment center now where it's all about like community and about you know having connections and how important connections are. And so much of early recovery was that for me. Like I held on to like the people in in my little group that I had. We won't name names of what that program was, but just use your fucking imagination. And so I held on to them. But so much of of healing really is like a solo mission. Like, yeah, we need like our lifelines. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I would have just been so distracted if I had my family involved. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was like they were so enabling and also so toxic and so chaotic and so crazy that like I just I don't think that I would be sober today if I didn't kind of do it alone. Right. I mean, you were further along on your healing journey than they were at that Which point. is saying, like, a lot. Right, as <laughs> Which like is, like, crazy because I was, yeah. Like, I had nothing. I was, like, filing for bankruptcy, twice convicted felon, had just finished, like, getting out of jail where I li- literally, I had the worst DTs in jail. I was shitting. I sh- woke up in the middle of the night. I'm in protective custody, Okay. I'm in the middle of a heroin detox 
and I wake up to myself literally projectile vomiting and shitting myself at the same time. Now, here's the worst part, right? Because this is bad. I've told this story before. I'm sorry if you've heard this. Or I if this is too graphic. No, I, I don't be sorry. Okay. I haven't heard so it. So I'm in this cell by myself, like in lockdown, yeah. right? So you're like by yourself. Yeah. And you can't help yourself. You, there's no new clothes. There, you, you don't oh, get no. extra clothes. You don't yeah. get extra yeah, sheets. Yeah, this isn't orange. You don't, the new black no, piper. No. I'm covered in my own shit. shit. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And so I crawl my way to the toilet and I'm like, well, do I put my head in the toilet or do I sit on the toilet? Like, which? Oh my God. <laughs> what are my options? I would do sit on the sit toilet. Sit on the toilet. Sit on barf the toilet, on the floor. Barf on the floor. That's what I did. But there's shit everywhere anyway. That, that should be your first day question with people. <laughs> do you sit on the toilet or do you throw up in the toilet? This is a really good icebreaker yes. for me. Yes. I need to know what you would do in jail. <laughs> <laughs> so the worst part about this is like everyone in the jail unit knows who I am. Yeah. You're worried about it's on the, the drama. News. So, but I have to ding the buzzer down to the cops in the central tower because I'm by yourself, right? Okay. And they're like, what do you need, Nyers? And I'm like, I need help. And they're like, what do you need? They don't just come. It's right. not like someone's just going to like open concierge. the door for you. This no. is the four seasons. No. They're going to take a minute to get up to jail. you. They're not even going to come up. I go, there's something terribly wrong. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I didn't want to say I just shit the room. Like, Wait, you're like, you're still trying to like say? put a good image out. I'm like out. barfing and shit is mm-hmm. so bad. So they go, you know, I eventually had to tell them I need a new roll up, which is what I told them. What is a new roll up? A new outfit or a, a new, new piece outfit. of toilet paper? So a roll up <laughs> is, is a jumpsuit. Uh-huh. Three pairs or four pairs of underwear, three pairs of socks, a sheet, yeah. and a pillowcase or whatever. Okay, uh-huh. so Jesus I go, Christ, I need you're a new like roll the hardest up. white girl I've ever met. <laughs> I go, I need a new roll up. And the trust, they had a trustee. That's the person, the only person they trust. That's another inmate to to clean the rooms and to bring food and, and stuff like Lohan. that. And that's Lohan. No, I'm joking. No, it wasn't Lohan. <laughs> um, Lohan's not trustworthy enough <laughs> to do this Lohan job. Lohan can't bring she Alexis can't. her own roll up. No. And the trustee comes and they open the door and the big cell door, mind you, it's not like slats. It's like a fucking right. steel door. Yeah, you're not passing notes. This isn't Pirates of the Caribbean. And the trustee turns around and looks at the officer and goes, I'm not going in there. <laughs> oh my like, God. So the officer finally comes. They ended up, I had to go to the fucking, you know, hospital ward. I, you know, it was, it was awful. It was so humiliating. And you'd think after that experience that you'd be like, Alexis, stay sober. Right. And she didn't. So you're getting drugs in jail? At no. That point? No, but I relapsed on the whippets and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just, totally. I wasn't real ready. Yeah. Did, so did that. I was like, I want to do this again and again. It's so fun, you guys. <laughs> Put me back in here. Oh my God. At that point, though, I was so ready to just be institutionalized for the rest of my life. Like, I don't know how to handle life. Lock me away. Right. Clearly, I need to be in here. This, right. These are my people. Right. I mean, that's not something, look, I don't have an experience in jail to kind of match that, but that's not something I haven't heard that you get kind of used to being in jail. And especially when our society doesn't properly rehab people leaving the prison system and leaving jail, that it's very easy to go back. Yeah. Look at you being an advocate for prison reform. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I'm an advocate for prison reform, just like Kim K., um, (laughs) my role model. Just like Kim K. is a lawyer. Just like Kim K. That's that's actually the perfect metaphor. Um, that is yeah. really wild. Um, that's pretty wild to use it this is. clip. No, I'm joking. Um, at what point, like, what is your first job out of kind of this this time in your life? And I know mm. you you do have a treatment center now. 
Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that? Sure. So um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Yeah. I didn't really have any skills, <laughs> you know, <laughs> besides like doing dirty, bad things. Totally. Um, so I like, I knew I needed to stay away from the entertainment industry and I'm so glad. Like I see the Demi Lovatos and no shame to any of these girls who like have to work to like provide. I know they take care of their family. It becomes, that's the thing is like in show business, it becomes such a monster that like you can't stop. And so you have the Britneys and the Demis and all these people who are just like publicly struggling where you're like, God, just take a couple years away yeah, and then maybe come back. But they literally can't. Like I knew that if I went back, I would die. So that was off the table. I didn't really have any, like I was like, should I become a stripper? Like what, what do we do from here? But I knew that I was like always really nurturing. And like I, as much as I was the fuck up of my family, I was also kind of the glue of my family, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go to school and become a counselor. And so that's what I did. I went to school and I slowly started to build back my life. Uh, Met uh, my now husband of nine years, Evan. And we kind of just saw this need for a different approach in the recovery world. Mm -hmm. And so we opened a non-12-step holistic treatment center. Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, Which is now called Oro House Recovery Centers. And we do all levels of care. And and really it's kind of, it's his project. You know, I don't take any credit for it. It's an honor to to be a part of this family. I, I, I'm so impressed with his dedication towards it. But for me, I really burnt out. Like I found that I can't do six one-on-one sessions a day. Like I'm so sensitive energetically. Like I just can't do it. And that's kind of, and then I was having babies and like stuff was going on. And so, you know, I've got my podcast now. I have my life reset course, which is the course I do with my mom. And I also work as a birth doula, which is- Oh, I didn't know uh, that. I love it. Oh my God, I've been doing that for about eight years now. And- Oh my God. I mean, that's like really- when I think about things that excite me, I love I love the podcast. I love helping people. I love coaching people. But the birth work is really where it's at for me. Wow. Okay. So I've started like reading more and hearing more people have had experiences with doulas and things like that living mm-hmm. in LA. Mm. Um, it's very LA. It's super LA. Everyone's <laughs> having a baby in like a blow up pool, pool. in their mm-hmm. backyard. And yeah. if you don't, your baby's <laughs> getting like pumped with like penicillin when they come out. <laughs> That's what everyone's saying. Yeah, it's one or the other. It's very extreme. Yeah, it's one. There's actually no in between. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There is, but only if you deliver at Cedars with one specific medical group. Then you can have a more holistic birth. Okay, you need to send me the info because I'm about to have a baby. (laughs) Are Um, you really? No, but my girlfriend thinks we are. (laughs) So I have to like prepare so that I have the information for her, but it's not happening. Um, So you meet your husband. And this yeah. is really like what I'm so excited to talk about. It's my relationship. Your stuff? relationship. Okay. I can't wait just yeah. because I've been watching on Instagram yeah. stories and people write the same questions into you every day. Every day. Every day. So it's I just like, what, I just watch you answer the same question every day. I'm like, oh, like, Alexis is answering this again. I, I know it's the same. Like, okay. So I have 90,000 followers. Yeah. And about 20,000 people view my stories every day. Yeah. I have a question. Like, where were you? Because that's like not that, you know, it's like if you're part of the 90,000 and 20,000 are watching, then like you have to have caught this by now. You have to have caught this by now. I just don't understand. 
Um, they also call my current, the girl I'm currently seeing, they have so, it's just like they're so obsessed. much. It's so much. Okay. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is, yeah, and you'll go on live and people will ask the same question. That over and over. You answered like two seconds ago. Yeah. So you are married to Evan, who, by the way, I listened on a podcast um, on my way here. He has like an amazing like southern drawl sounding voice. He's Canadian. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. He's like, he's like, yeah, Brittany. Oh my I God. Think she's like, he did. Do you not feel, maybe no. check with him because I think he's southern. <laughs> um, he's literally from West Van. Okay. okay I, I think I know him better though. than you. <laughs> so, but he does, his voice is like very soft and chill. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting him to be more of like a rugged, like oh, lumberjack no. type. He's, he looks that way. Yeah. But he's very, Evan is very stoic. He's like a Buddhist monk. Like nothing. He's very chill, always put together, very calm. Mm. Has like the perfect worldview. Wow. It's very like optimistic all the time. It's it's interesting. Oh, that's yeah. So what he looks like isn't what he. I mean, it's so good for me because I'm like like all over the place. Like right. ah, oh my god, this is out. And he's like calm. Like we are yin and yang. Totally. But it works. So. And here's the curveball. Yeah, that I'm gay. Alexis <laughs> is gay. But I'm really fucking gay. You're I gay. Know. And uh, so modern family. Modern family. We have two kids. Okay, let's go back. Okay. Uh, yeah, I like don't know. I don't know where to start. Like I. Okay, so I'm gay. And I always. Are you? Yeah, I'm gay. <laughs> and I'm gonna start by saying, let's just hear the gayest thing you've done this week, and I'll uh, go. I'll go first. Okay. And by the way, Julian's mom, Lynn, that's my girlfriend's mom. If you're listening, shut off, shut the podcast off right now. <laughs> Turn it off. Turn it off. Okay, so the gayest thing I've done this week is eat pussy. What's okay. the gayest thing you've done this week? Okay, the gayest thing I've done this week was topped my very top girlfriend. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, and I feel like you're always— <sighs> Like I used— Okay. We're going She's too fast for the audience. Me. We're okay. going too fast for the yes. audience. I, and I don't know if she wants me to share exactly what I put in her. <laughs> but it was a huge, huge no. zucchini. Okay. At um, what point? Okay, like I always knew I was gay growing up, and this is yeah, what I carried I always with knew. me. So, so did you forget? Tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess did you forget? I lost. Um, okay. So I knew. Okay. So mm, this is so hard. Okay, so before I even knew about sexuality, I was being sexually abused. Mm-hmm. So um, I have someone in my family, I can't say who it was, who was 10 years older than me. So he was 14 and I was four. And he started raping me. And that went on for like years. And there was a lot of grooming involved. And that was my first sexual experience was with a male. And it was obviously not consensual because I was for. Um, But what happened from there was a a very, and I know this is dark, it gets better. There was a a string of inappropriate things that continued to happen in my household. So lots of sexual abuse, lots of grooming, lots of like weird sexual stuff too. Like my mom was like so open sexually that like it was just so much input. Like I didn't have a normal childhood. Like my mom was this ex-playmate kind of my dad was this like relationship and sexaholic and it was just so toxic. I vividly remember having crushes on my friends in kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, my first consensual sexual experiences were with girls. I would eat my girlfriends out all the time. <laughs> 12 years old in the shower. Like I remember eating Gabby's pussy in the shower at 12 years old. Like 
we were having a sleepover. Uh, isn't Gabby we spent this, the your night. Sister? No, not my sister. Sorry. No, my best friend at the time. Gabby. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And Gabby, if you're listening, I love you. She actually made a joke that was really funny to her. Um, the guy that she's currently dating, he was like trying to be like, yeah, well, I, I eat like really good pussy. And she's like, really? Because my best friend's a lesbian. She's eaten my pussy lots and it was so good. No one's ever been able to top it. And oh I'm like, God. you can't say that to the guy who's like <laughs> Oh my Little God. TMI. But so my first consensual sexual experiences, kissing, exploring, all of that. And I didn't know it was sex because like in sex ed in fifth grade, you're not learning about same sex relationships. Right. You're learning about, you know, penis and vagina equals baby. Yeah. But I was confused. Uh, I think societal programming, living in a patriarchy, grooming and sexual abuse all definitely like played a major role in my sexual endeavors. I had boyfriends. I had girlfriends. I always identified as bi. I think I found comfort in men because I just, again, societal programming. Totally. Like I thought like man equals safety, yeah, which protection. is weird because a lot of men weren't safe with me, um, but I had very toxic experiences with girls too. That's not to say girls can't be abusive because they absolutely can. Yeah. Um, I had a female babysitter that sexually abused me. I had lots of abuse. Wow. And so when I got sober at 19 and I met Evan, it just, he just was, you know, he's very in touch with like his feminine side. He felt really safe. He, like I said, he's very stoic. He's very reasonable. He's very calming. He's very, he is my safety. And we've had to work through that in therapy too. Cause I'm like, I'm using you too much as comfort and like, right. I need to do my own work. Um, but yeah, so I married Evan and he knew from the beginning that I identified as bisexual and that I had had lots of relations with women didn't bug him at all obviously he's a very progressive human and we got married we had babies I went into therapy and as I began to really unpack my sexual abuse kind of the last part of me healing from my sexual trauma was reclaiming my sexuality mm. and I I had this moment where I just, I was in such a deep depression and I was like, why am I so depressed? Like, I don't understand. I have it all. Like yeah. I have the husband with the great job and the beautiful home and the suburbs and the two kids and, you know, driving the mom mobile around and doing all the things and I'm fucking depressed and like, why? And so one day I said to Evan, you know, what do you think about open marriages? <laughs> yeah. This is a couple of years ago. And it took us a couple of years to unpack like our feelings around jealousy. And I don't think Evan and I could have gone into this marriage and been open from the beginning. I think we really needed to build a foundation and then open. And so for about two years, we talked about, you know, the complexities of this and what it would look like. Two and, years you're doing the discussion. Yeah, like the, on and off. Not like, to fuck a woman? I am. Uh, yeah. Although I was really scared. Um, I, I think it goes back to the programming. Like this is cheating. Oh my God, this is wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And so I didn't go on the apps or anything like that. 
until literally um, my beautiful, wonderful, supportive husband, Evan, was like, make a Bumble. Like, please make a fucking Bumble account right now and see if you can match with a girl that you like. Mm -hmm. Okay, instantly matched with like 15 girls. Okay, don't brag, Alexis. (laughs) I have so many matches, by the way. They weren't. No, they weren't that cute. Yeah, they were busted. Yeah. Okay. But I was DTF yeah. and ready to go. Right. Two um, years of talking literally about Literally amazing. Like I'm in a hotel room with my husband. My hinge notifications just went on. I wonder who it is. Oh, no. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in this hotel room with my husband on, on my Bumble. And he goes to bed and I start having like basically phone sex with this girl. And in this moment, like, like texting totally. pics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And in this moment, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so gay. Oh my God, I'm so gay. I have to see this girl. See the girl go to dinner, have sex. Red flag number one, she cried in my arms and told me she loved me. That's so lesbian. It's so lesbian. I should have ran for the hills. We do that. I stayed with her for like an additional three weeks. So literally, lesbian. I just had to block her last night. It's been four months. I had to literally block her number and block her on Snapchat because it is like, I'm like, you're fucking you're harassing me at this point. Right. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like, uh, no. Your best friend's Yelp reviews of your shower eating <laughs> pussy have kept everyone coming back. So, yeah. So, I was like, yeah, I'm fucking gay. And so, then everyone goes, but you're not a lesbian because you're married to a man. And it's like, can, okay, well then I don't like, blame them for asking the no, question? no. But it's about intention and it's about like as much as I love being in and have been in my whole life because I like I said have been eating pussy since I was 12. Um, but as much as I love. I think that'll be the episode title. I've <laughs> <laughs> been eating pussy since I was 12. Um, eating tacos since 2006. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. I mean, even though. I love being a part of this community. There is absolutely biphobia. There is absolutely gatekeeping. There is absolutely... And I understand the need for labels and all of that. But I also am like, can we do away with the labels and just understand that like for the vast majority of the population, sexuality is very fluid. Totally. Like no... Like I I know very few women that are like strictly straight only and have never wanted to kiss a girl. And I know, and that's not saying that you're bi or that you're lesbian. It's just that there is this spectrum. Absolutely. So for me, what it is, is, you know, and then people are like, well, if you're not bi, because I don't identify as bi because I would never, I never want to be with another. I don't find men like sexually attractive um, anymore. And so it's like, so then you're pan, right? And it's like, well, not really because literally I don't find men attractive anymore. Right. I have one partner who is an amazing partner and we're not going to divorce. He's a soul connection for me. He's my anchor partner. He is like top priority. And I have girlfriends. Does he not... I mean, if I, I'm just, and I'm sure everyone does this, they just project how they would feel if they were your husband in this situation. Mm -hmm. And they say, I love everyone empathizes with a man. Yeah. No one has empathy for you. No, no one has empathy for me. You haven't been through enough. No, (laughs) no, there's no empathy here. It's, it's strict. Everyone's like, poor Evan. I can't imagine. Evan is getting laid and he is having a great time. Right. Don't (laughs) feel bad for Evan. (laughs) Right. He's literally fucking this girl right now who looks like Zoe Kravitz. She's fucking gorgeous. That is like my top, my top girl. Ugh. She is amazing. It's like, come on. And he's not going to be happy that I shared that, but whatever. Wow. 
I mean, she's gorgeous. Yeah. He's having the time of his life. My question is around his feelings about you identifying. If if, if oh. I, if my partner, if for example, if my girlfriend said that she identifies as straight, mm-hmm. my mind would feel, I would feel insecure that that means, that equates to a lack of attraction for me. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's just a conversation that two adults work through instead of panicking, right? I think that we're so programmed to run away from, in quotes, negative emotions. I think we run from them because we don't know how to deal with them. And as a result, it causes much of the chaos in the world. We're not willing to look at our shadow and our internal crap. And Evan and I have done that. So what do I mean by that? Does jealousy come up in our relationship? Absolutely. What I do in those moments is I take a moment to reflect and pause and go, okay, where is this coming from? You're like, I do guess it's that I, I want to feel- fuck so <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. It's not jealousy about like the girls or whatever. It's jealousy about, you know, whatever the time or the way that he treats them. Or mm. it could be like some some little thing that comes up for me. And I'll go, okay, you're feeling unlovable right now. Like I'll find like what's underneath the jealousy. Jealousy is like... It always comes down to fear or love, right? So jealousy is really just fear. What am I fearful of? That I'm really not lovable. That's what's coming up for me. And so it's like, okay, but you are lovable. And I understand that you grew up in a situation where you didn't feel like you were. And I'm so sorry that that happened. And I literally just reparent myself through it, Right. right? And I talk myself through it. And then I talk myself off the edge. And if it's something that needs to be talked about with my partner... I can then go to Evan and say, hey, I've been working through some feelings lately around some jealousy that's coming up for me. I'm realizing that I'm needing more quality time with you. When can we make that happen? Mm -hmm. And then we have the quality time and then boom, it's done. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, right. It works that way. (laughs) I think that I would be, and I, I think the idea of having a relationship that's not monogamous is, it's really appealing for a lot of people. It's the practice of it that really would intimidate me um, because you have to be really disciplined. It's not like it's like a free-for-all. Yeah, I mean... And th- this would be my... In own- the beginning, it was a free-for-all. Oh, shit. It was kind of like... It's like, okay, now we need to reel ourselves back. I mean, both of us, you know, for both of us. It's like, uh, some of my responsibility... I just got a frantic text for Evan. He's like, did you file the taxes? And I'm like, oh, fuck. I didn't because I've been fucking. So it's like, you know, it's it's finding that balance, right? Of right. like, this feels really good and I've been doing a lot of this. And you have life and responsibilities. Yeah. And this is another place that I'm, I'm curious about is I, knowing myself and I think a lot of queer women, mm-hmm. they get really excited and invested when they start yeah. seeing a new partner. Like over the top, like lesbians will write you poetry and they'll fly. <laughs> Sing you songs. I had an ex-girlfriend that literally wrote me a song when we broke up. Oh, it's like so real. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you do when you're dating someone and this, this is like life? You want to like take that relationship mm-hmm. to the next level. Yeah. So it's really hard for me to find partners because most of them say they're okay with my dynamic, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And I'm really lucky that I found the partner that I did because she's never been in a closed relationship. She only likes open relationships and she's she loves to be on her own. So it works for us. This current thing that I'm in works because it's kind of this dynamic where 
when we see each other, it's great. And when we don't, it's just like we're okay with that. Whereas the girls I was dating previously just wanted more and more and more and more. And I, <laughs> it, it's like that's not something I can give. Right. And you went into this consensually and now you're making me feel bad about it. And I don't like that. And so now I need to like remove myself from this dynamic. Yeah. And that's hard. It's hard because… You know, and both of them, the two previous, were like, I just thought that maybe you would leave him for me. And it's like, no, not going to happen. And so what's so nice about this girl that I'm currently seeing is that this isn't her first rodeo dating married women. Mm -hmm. And she's so chill about it. Like, she just spent the whole weekend at my house with the kids, with my husband. And it's just, yeah. What does that look like? Oh, my God. It was so cool. I saw that you posted her with your kids. Yeah. <laughs> so she stays over with you and your husband and your children? Yeah. Well, Evan and I have been in separate rooms. So this just goes to show you that I've been gay for a long time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Evan and I have been in separate rooms for years. And so, and that's not to say that my bedroom isn't his bedroom and his bedroom isn't my bedroom and that sometimes we share a bedroom. Right. We do. But yeah, she stayed in my bedroom. He stayed in his bedroom. Was Everyone the always time? wants to, Yeah. What was it like? It was invigorating. It was freeing. It felt like, wow, this is really possible. Like something that we've been talking about for so long, like this actually might come to fruition and like work out. And it felt really great. I I still feel a little bit like that high from the whole experience. She doesn't want kids, but she was great with mine. And it was so funny because she came late at night after work And everyone was already asleep and, you know, went up to my room, eventually fell asleep, woke up the next morning. And that was a laugh about having had so much sex. (laughs) Just if the listener couldn't pick up. I feel like when you're in a new relationship, that's the thing about like straight sex versus gay sex. Like straight sex, like he comes and then that's game over. Lesbian sex, like you just fuck all night. Like just go, go, go. Like I can just, I just need like five, I need five minute breaks in between my orgasms. But like, yeah, make me come again. Like now it's just a game of like, who can come the most? (laughs) Totally. So (laughs) it's the following morning. Evan's downstairs with the kids. And we make our way out and I'm, I've am i got this like shit eating grin on my face and I'm also so n- nervous and I grab her and I'm like, I'm really nervous. And she's like, babe, I got this. Like, this isn't my first rodeo. And I'm like, oh, thank God you've got this because I don't, I don't have this. Yeah. Now my kids met her briefly before that. Um, it was so funny because my eight-year-old, I've raised her to be like really super inclusive and just like she's been around all my gay friends her whole life. And so we picked her up from school one day and I introduced Chris as my friend because we were at that point just friends. Mm -hmm. And I go to just drop her off at the babysitter after and we're in the car with Chris and she looks at Chris and she goes, I like your tattoos. And Chris goes, thanks. And she goes, I like your haircut. And Chris goes, thanks. And then she goes, are you married? And Chris goes, no. And she goes, yeah, because you're gay, right? <laughs> like she knew like right away that Chris was a lesbian. That's amazing. And so, yeah, the kids were downstairs. They had already met her. And it just went so cool. Like Evan was drinking his coffee. She sat down. They gave each other a hug, sat down right next to each other. I cooked everyone breakfast. And that was that. Oh, my God. And so there's no, you know, everyone listening who is is thinking, is Evan um, joining you? Yeah, everyone asks that, which I think is like, just goes to show like the fucking programming that we receive. Yeah, no. Our relationships are separate. 
No fucking way. <laughs> no. And the girls that I date, I don't date bi girls. What, why is your like, instinct girls, no fucking way, by the way? You like want to be monogamous of us, like, within dick the that open? Much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the girls that I date are gay. Like, I don't date bi girls. Uh, yeah. No, no, that's not being biphobic. It's just that, like, the type of girl, the type of lesbian that I like is chapsticky slash mask slash androgynous slash, you know, definitely gay. Yeah. Wow. You've been on TikTok. Yeah, um, I have. Yeah. And you just rarely find bi girls that fit that, you know, yeah, kind of whatever uh-huh. description. Yeah, totally. And what's the, I've seen you, I'm just like, Basically, this is like a podcast of me like pulling together all of your Instagram stories. Yeah. But um, tell me about like the language you're using with your kids around monogamy mm. because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So um, from the time that Harper and Dakota were little, little, we had conversations around consent and, you know, their bodies and all of that stuff. Just because of my history of abuse, it's like, I just knew that I wanted them to have full autonomy over their bodies. And I've always used um, correct terminology and they've, you know, when they asked me how babies were made, I explained it. And obviously, you know, an age-appropriate manner. Yeah, I'm not you rub two clits together <laughs> and, and then file papers. Baby. <laughs> yeah, um, the magic doctor <laughs> put, put Puts you to sleep and you wake it's up and there's IUI one you. Harper, okay? <laughs> We've talked about that too. Because that is comprehensive age-appropriate sex education. Like that lesbian totally. couples can have babies and gay couples can have babies. And what does that look like? And how does that happen? Right. And all of the things. And, you know, my kids have been celebrating pride because I'm a, you know, I was at the time a bisexual woman since they were little. And obviously I have a diverse community around me and the kids, you know, have seen same-sex couples. And so we've had these conversations and the conversation around ethical non-monogamy and consensual open relationships came up really just like (laughs) in a matter-of-fact way. My youngest came home from school and she was like, I have two boyfriends. Now she's got her little kindergarten crush situation happening, which is totally normal. And my oldest looked at her and we're all at the dinner table and she goes, you can't have two boyfriends, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhere the patriarchy told this little girl Mm -hmm. that she could not have two boyfriends. And her mother is here to set the record straight. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, well, actually, Harper, you can have two boyfriends as long as there's consent. And I said, do you remember what consent means? And she's like, yeah. And then she like repeats it back. And I go, well, there's consent when it comes to how people touch our bodies and what we are and are not okay with. And then there's consent with our personal boundaries and and in relationships with one another, what we are and are not okay with. And that was like literally as easy as that. Yeah. Then when I started dating, she eventually asked like, hey, where are you going? You know, at night. Because- a lot of people are like, you should be with your kids. Oh my God. I'm with oh my, my kids. God. As I am with my men. kids. They never do. Yeah. I'm with my kids all the fucking time. Just because I don't post every moment with my children on social media doesn't right. mean I'm not with my kids. <laughs> I've been with them for like nine years straight. Trust me. I need a fucking break. <laughs> right, um, right, right, right. Fuck. Can't mommy go get fucked at the Santa Monica <laughs> proper for one night? <laughs> like, please. That is literally like. Give me a break. I have had so much sex at that hotel. 
Yeah, it's such a good hotel. That is such an it's amazing, such a good fuck place. That the hotel's blackout everything. curtains. They have the proper lighting. The shower, the bathroom has the proper lighting. It's so good. The drink. It's oh yeah, well, the water. It's <laughs> so good. It's such a good yeah. fucking hotel. The lobby's like so sexy. It is. It's a vibe. The whole place. Yeah. Yes. Seriously, get your pussy eat at the proper hotel. Yes. In the shower, especially. It was a good shower. In the, the shower. Whole thing, all over. But yeah, so she asked and I said, well, uh, I said, mom, you know how mommy identifies as bisexual? And she goes, yeah. And I said, well, I actually identify as gay now. And mommy and daddy decided that we're going to start, you know, going on fun dates with people. Literally, she had two questions after that, which were like, oh, with girls or boys. I said girls. And she goes, and is daddy okay with it? And I go, yeah. And then we moved on. It's so, like kids are so, when you raise emotionally intelligent children, and I just want to keep throwing in in, an age-appropriate conversation. Everyone thinks that I'm talking about (laughs) specifics with my children about how I fuck my girlfriend. And I don't, which is also so interesting because you don't have to talk about how your mom and dad are fucking because everyone knows. Everyone knows. It's, you're already programmed to know that that's going on. Like, that's like a given. Yeah. And it's like, just like I don't talk to my kids about my sex with my husband, I don't talk to my kids about my sex with my girlfriend. Right, right. There's just Ugh. no awareness of of sex that's not straight heterosex. And that is such, it's just, honestly, it's so problematic. Like, the implications of that. Yeah. So here I am, like, and I think, really for me, it was this. I'm raising emotionally intelligent children that are inclusive and kind and I thought about being 18 years old and or my daughter, <laughs> not me being 18 years old. I thought about my oldest being 18, 10 years down the road. And I would be 40 because I had her very early in life. And I thought about sitting down from her uh, with her dad and sitting across the table and saying, you know, I'm gay. And I decided that I wasn't going to explore my sexuality because I didn't want to create any rockiness in your world. And so I decided to suppress myself and to be depressed and to be angry and resentful and whatever else. Right. Because I wanted to protect you guys. And I thought about having this conversation with my husband and I with my kids. And I thought about what Harper would say And she would have wanted me to choose authenticity over living a lie, period. Because that's what I encourage my children to do. I I encourage them to be their authentic selves, to be okay with all of their feelings, to learn how to process and manage and, and be in those feelings. I think we're, again, it goes back to the conditioning that we receive that like feeling bad is inherently bad. Like, our children are going to, I mean, living in this hellhole of a planet right now, are going to go through a lot. Yeah. We better do our best to raise emotionally intelligent, resilient kids. And that comes from living bravely and authentically, no matter what, even when it's hard. And is this going to be hard for my kids? Yeah. I have no, you know, question about that in my mind. That eventually when some kid at school finds out, actually, (laughs) it was so funny because we, you know, I'm like, well, what are you going to do when kids say stuff to you? And she's like, I don't care. I'm going to, and I know eventually she's going to care. Yeah. But she asked Chris on Monday to walk to school and we all walked to school. Oh my God. And so it's my girlfriend, Chris. Yeah. 
dress like are we, we using girlfriend now oh, girl that's a friend um, uh. we're we haven't had the talk we both have feelings for each other my girl I'll just call her my girl not girlfriend yet yeah we're not friends we're not girlfriends right. she's my girl yeah so it's Chris myself and myself and shout out to Chris who had hibachi for the first time last week she did it was yeah. like such an experience for her so it's the three of us walking to school, holding hands Wow! In, in suburbia. I live in like Stepford community. Think of Stepford wives. That's me. Everyone drives the same. They either drive an Escalade or a Model X Tesla or a Range Rover. They're, you know, it is very much so that life. And here come, you know, the two, the gay mom and dad. Uh-huh. Chris, isn't, Chris is not a mom. <laughs> She's not mom. <laughs> Material walking onto campus and Harper immediately goes, this is my mom and my mom's girlfriend, Chris, to all of her little friends. And I'm like, you know what? She's probably going to get shit for that on the playground later on, but I'll process it with her when she gets home. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so much of that is like in having these conversations is people need parents that have been willing to like work through and put down their own trauma. Amen. Is that is uh and it's, some of that is to do with uh your recovery course with your your mom? Yeah. Is some of that explored there or what is that exactly yeah. for just before we we wrap? Yeah, so I kind of put together a compilation of everything that I've used to maintain this much sobriety and overall healing. The course isn't about okay. sobriety. It's about how do we recover our lives? Like I feel like the vast majority of people are walking around on this planet and they've never taken a moment to pause and reflect, take a deep breath and to go, who am I? Like, who am I really? Am I really this person or have I been programmed to be this person? Do I really need to do this? Or, you know, and what happens is we don't do that because of the freaking crisis that would then, you know, our whole worlds would collapse and we'd go, oh my God, wait, why am I doing any of this? And do I really like this? And did I do this because my mom told me that I should or my dad told me or or do I really need to do this? And I think so many people are operating just on this automatic pilot in their lives and they're just kind of going through the motions And as a result, we're seeing a lot of people suffer. And the suffering is a gift and it's an opportunity for growth. And so what the course does is it goes, it really takes you back to the subconscious mind and the subconscious programming that we've received since we were really young that shapes who we are, our worldview and the way that we think and the way that we behave. And it gets to the root of those those automatic, that automatic programming. And it allows us to explore then to, to acknowledge what is there to clear it out and to explore what we need to do to build a better life. Mm. I'll give an example because I can, because she's given me consent to do so. Um, Rita came into the course newly sober and really struggling in every area of her life, like her relationships with her family, her sexual relationships, her sexuality, where she was working, all the things. And she did the course for the next year. And it is remarkable to see people change the way that they do after doing this course. Rita now has a stable job. She's going to school she came out as gay. She's dating. She is setting boundaries with her family because you know how hard that is when you come out for so many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so interesting too, if I can touch on that for a second, which is yeah. it's just 
funny because when you come out for so many of us, you know, and the girls that I've dated, most of them have really heartbreaking stories of what their experience was with coming out. I kind of grew up fortunately and unfortunately with parents who didn't give a fuck (laughs) about me. And so I don't think they really cared. But what was so interesting is I have this really progressive or I thought progressive family. And when I came out as gay and as wanting to be in this open marriage now, it's like their worlds collapse. Oh, wow. It was so hard for them mm. to accept it. I think I've been the kind of the glue for the family, the poster child, the recovered poster child. I was going to say. So much pressure. And I just think it's really interesting, like, when you talk about open relationships or open marriage or non-monogamy or or polyamory or sexuality, it doesn't matter how progressive you think you are. Shit comes up for you. Yeah. Fears come up for you. And there's just been so much to like process and work through um, in my family with this. So it hasn't been easy. And the people who I thought would be reaching out to me have been silent. I've Mm. lost friendships over this. Um, Couples that I, you know, we've raised our kids basically together for the last nine years that we, I haven't heard from in months. Wow, it's so like really dark. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because it exposes, yeah, it exposes all of your inner fears of like, oh my God, well, can I be sexually liberated? And can I be living some other life that I'm not living right now? Do I have to stay in this like mundane experience? Do I, I mean, it makes you question everything. Right. It's not to do with you. It's like, oh my God, if I allow this information in, will that collapse my own marriage? Yeah. And what does this mean for me and for us and for our dynamic and my worthiness and all of those things? So it's just been really interesting, a lot to unpack. And it's, again, it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning is that healing really has been this kind of solo mission in a lot of ways. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. And also, I just know that, you know, if you can't love me unconditionally, then you're not supposed to be a part of my life. Yeah, then swipe left. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I am so impressed by your journey and inspired by your commitment to living an authentic life. Mm, thank you. And thank you for being so open and sharing your story with my listeners because I know they're going to like love it so much mm. and really resonate. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at it's Alexis Haynes and the podcast, I took a hiatus, but it's coming back October 4th. I don't know when this is coming out. The first, okay. So the first Monday in October, recovering from reality will be back, but there's a backlog of a hundred and some odd episodes oh <laughs> for my you guys God. to listen to. Oh, 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 oh. I <laughs> thought you, you meant it to be released. No, God, no. Um, but there's, there's a pretty solid backlog. So um, for anyone who wants to go back and listen through, you can. And binge. Binge. Also on Dear Media. Also on Dear Media. Amazing. Yeah. Thank- Welcome to the family here. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Thanks. 